It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Brett Baer. Israel has begun its offensive into Gaza to eradicate Hamas forces in the region. The White House stating that its unwavering support for Israel continues, though President Biden has urged precaution and reiterated that Israel needs to, quote, prioritize the protection of civilians. There are some in the international community calling for a ceasefire. Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. This is a time for war a war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. If Hamas and Iran's axis of evil win, you will be their next target. We do not believe that a a ceasefire um, is the right answer right now. Uh, We believe that a ceasefire right now benefits Hamas. On Capitol Hill, the House of Representatives has found a speaker in Republican Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson. Still, there's quite a bit on the agenda as they attempt to provide aid for both Israel and Ukraine, funding for more protections at the southern border, and continue to race against the clock to fund the government before the November 17th deadline. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Democratic strategist, co-host of The Five, Jessica Tarloff, Director of Domestic Studies at the American Enterprise Institute, Matthew Conmetti. And Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram. Matthew, uh, first to Israel. It is pretty astonishing as you go around the world, some of the reactions and how different they are in the wake of October 7th. It is. Uh, I, I would say at the country level, places like the United States, places like Germany, France, England have all rallied to Israel's side. And that's for the good. Uh, we've seen support from for Israel from places like India. Uh, we've seen it from places like Ukraine with Ukrainian President Zelensky linking the two conflicts. Conversely, we've seen Vladimir Putin of Russia move away from Israel. Uh, Russia and Israel had had pretty good relations over the past 20 years. Those seem to be in steep decline because of Russia's new alliance with Iran, Brett. So at the country level, you see these new alignments taking place. At the micro level, especially on college campuses around the world, as and in particular in our own country, the United States of America, the response has been shocking to me, vitriolic, anti-Israel. And that, I think, is a wake-up call for all of Israel's supporters, as well as American Jews inside the United States. Yeah, Jessica, I think 
everybody knows that anti-Semitism had its place. Sometimes it was, um, you know, unfortunately behind the scenes, uh, sometimes it didn't pop up as much, but boy, these last few days seem to have really been a wake up call, I think for people who didn't fully appreciate anti-Semitism. Um, and it's, it's fairly bold right now. You have college campuses, university of California, um, stop the ethic, ethnic studies professors demanded that UCLA stop referring to Hamas's attacks on Israeli civilians as terrorism, arguing in a letter to administrators that such language endangers students. Meanwhile, these protests are, you know, not only anti-Israel, they're fairly anti-Jew. Yeah, I wouldn't say just fairly. I think they're explicitly anti-Jew. And it seems that they have located the person who posted um, those horrible threats at Cornell University about slitting Jews' throats. And we know that uh, Jewish students were locked inside of the kosher dining hall there um, just a few days after Jewish students were locked inside a library at Cooper Union. So this is going on all over the place. I think it is one of the greatest academic failures that I can certainly think of, that these people who are, you know, lucky enough to be faculty members at the top universities in the world um, have shown themselves to be anti-Semites or to just be completely devoid of any understanding of the difference between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. It's very clear that now we're just talking about anti-Semitism. You have every right to talk about Israel's policies, what, you know, if you have a problem with Netanyahu, which I I do. I'm an American Jew. I am not a fan of Netanyahu. Um, and you see Israelis within Israel talking about it constantly. It's something like 80 percent want him to come out and take personal responsibility and apologize for what happened on October 7th and whatever is to come going forward. Um, but it's disturbing. And I've spent a lot of my life in academia. I, I went through the Ph.D. level at the London School of Economics, which in my first year there, the student union voted to dissolve the state of Israel. And my grandmother, who grew up in Austria, left because of Hitler, then went to Paris and then came here to America when I was leaving for London, said, you have to be careful. There's a lot of anti-Semitism there. And I said, oh, nanny, you know, what are you talking about? I grew up here in Manhattan. Um, we were the majority in the school that I went to. And she said, you know, it's really different over there. I got a taste of that. The first year I was in London, and now I'm seeing this happen on campuses across the country, and it breaks my heart. Matthew, I, th I think, you know, you see some of the efforts uh, by groups like that uh, Russian airport with the plane mm -hmm. landing Tel Aviv. And it, I mean, it really feels like a day gone by. I mean, it really feels like a pogrom from the 50s or something. I mean, it's very strange. You know, Parisian Jews woke up uh, in recent days to find someone had painted blue stars of David outside their homes. Uh, in America, there's a boycott of businesses in Philadelphia. Um, these businesses are Jewish-owned. It's not Israeli businesses that are being boycotted. They're Jewish businesses. And that, I think, is the most... Um, stunning takeaway of the events of the past three weeks, Brett. And Jessica alluded to, to it in her answer. You see how anti-Zionism, the refusal of the state of Israel to exist, truly is anti-Semitism. 
truly is. And it's one thing to criticize Israeli government policies. Jessica's absolutely right. One, what's one thing to criticize Netanyahu? Israelis do that. <laughs> they have more than enough of that in Israel. But what you see today in response to this worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust is the blaming of the victims and the turn toward anti-Semitism. And it is, it's uh, watching a replay of the 1930s that one would never have thought one would see in 2023. Panel, we'll hold it right there. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Uh, meantime, on Capitol Hill, uh, Chad, there is uh, this effort to get funding, but Republicans taking a neat tack. They're trying to take money from the IRS, the additional funding for the IRS, to get some $14.3 billion to Israel, separated from the Ukraine funding, separated from this big $106 billion pitch by the administration. This was really an effort by the new speaker, Mike Johnson, to kind of uh, throw a couple of bones to his hard right and say, look, uh, we know that there is more support for Ukraine only in the House of Representatives uh, versus uh, versus uh, Ukraine for Israel, more support for Israel versus Ukraine. But also to come back to a fundamental point that Republicans uh, drove home when they they said they were going to take the majority and said that the first thing they were going to do, which they were never completely able to uh, affect here, but was to strip the IRS of this additional money that the Democrats gave it last year in the uh, Build Back Better bill. And so this is something, this was kind of a bone that uh, Speaker Johnson was throwing to, to the right. And I asked uh, the uh, Senate Majority Leader, Chuck Schumer, I said, well, did you really expect him to do anything different? Because he just railed against Speaker Johnson about this approach and said it's a partisan uh, bill, it's a poison pill in, in this piece of legislation that's very important. We have to help Israel, but uh, you know this is not going to see the light of day in the Senate. And Chuck Schumer said, well, uh, he said, I I counseled him on saying if he does the same thing that speakers Boehner, Ryan and McCarthy did, you know, kind of giving that homage to the hard right, it's going to turn out very badly for you. It's going to turn out very, very badly for your conference and very badly, frankly, for uh, for the country. The other dynamic that has emerged here today is that you have criticism coming from the right, from Rand Paul, Republican senator from Kentucky, Josh Hawley, Republican senator from Missouri about the advocacy uh, for Ukraine money by the minority leader, Mitch McConnell. He just had Oksana Makarova, the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to the United States, uh, at a meeting at the University of Louisville at the McConnell School of Government the other day, kind of underscoring Mitch McConnell's uh, support for Ukraine. And then uh, Josh Hawley said uh, that this was a mistake uh, for the leader to take that position, thought it weakened him as a leader. And uh, Senator Paul said that this was really kind of an underhanded tactic by McConnell to undercut uh, Speaker Johnson. So you've got some very interesting interplay going on right now, sometimes internecine warfare, even among the sides right now on this, Brett. Joshua, do you think that Ukraine never got the uh, PR push uh, that it needed at the beginning as far as kids being taken by Russian soldiers, as far as essentially terrorist acts and horrible things to families? I mean, do you think that that just wasn't that much of a focus. Why, why are they on the back end of now this backlash? Well, I, I think some of them might just be conflict fatigue. 
frankly, that it's been going on for so long, because I do remember in the immediate aftermath, we were, you know, certainly wall to wall talking about this, especially as it was something that came as a great surprise, as did the October 7th massacre. Um, I think that there, because of the way that the administration has tackled this, not to say that President Biden wasn't hugely supportive, which he has been and continues to be, of President Zelensky and the Ukrainian cause. There's something about this that feels more personal to people. You are correct about the amplification of these horror stories. The details of the terrorism is a bit different. But fundamentally, the Israeli-Gazan conflict or Hamas conflict has, I think, been more effectively painted as a terrorist attack versus what happened with Russia. And because Putin was in charge of what happened with Russia and Hamas is not the head of the Palestinian people, right? It's a terrorist organization. I understand they won the election in 2006, 2007, but most Palestinians have nothing to do with Hamas. It feels very different to people. So it's like terror attack on people who are not conducting any sort of military action versus an invasion that did not manifest in our eyes in the same in the same way. I hope that made sense. Matthew, you, it did you in my that? head. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get it. Uh, but Matthew, you think that that's part of it? I, I do I think, think it's the fatigue part is definitely there. Well, the fatigue is definitely there. We've had this argument for many years that we don't want to be part of forever wars. No Americans are fighting in Ukraine. The war is, you know, in in over a year old, uh, and there's no end in sight. Um. I think there's some willful blindness on the part of many Republicans who oppose Ukraine aid, Brett. They don't see how these conflicts are linked. In my view, Ukraine and what's happening in the Middle East are both the result of a failure of American deterrence, the collapse of American leadership overseas. It's been a long time coming, but it's now finally manifesting in the conflicts that are spreading across the world. And remember, we always have to look at what's happening in Taiwan and the People's Republic of China, as well as a potential third conflict that might emerge in the next year. And so these conflicts are linked, in my view, they're linked by the fact that Iran is supplying Russia with the same weaponry. It supplies Hamas. And so Iranian weapons are being used against Ukrainian civilians, just as they're being used against Israeli civilians. Iranian proxies are attacking American forces in the Middle East. We responded last week. It did not deter them from attacking us again. Russia and Iran believe that these conflicts are linked. It's time for Americans to wake up to the fact that they're linked as well. And what that means is this money needs to go out. And look, I think you, it's, you can look at the money. You can look at the shape of this package. You can think about, well, how are we going to pay for it? That's fine. That's normal politics. But at the end of the day, our allies need weapons to fight the enemies of democracy and freedom. And if we don't supply them with those tools, it, it will be on us as Americans. Chad, also the FBI director, Homeland Security director up on Capitol Hill in some chilling testimony that essentially signaled that the likelihood of a terrorist attack here has gone up exponentially as many more either lone wolves or people tied to Hamas, Hezbollah, may have made it their way through the southern border. 
Right. And that's that's what uh, Chris Ray was talking about here. You know, this very you know big concern at the southern border here. Republicans obviously have pointed to issues with the southern border for a long time. Senator McConnell, who I talked to, uh, you know, just a few minutes ago, he indicated that what he was trying to do was kind of load up this bill, you know, for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan and border security and kind of uh, dare Republicans in the House to, to vote against it. But uh, this is what Chris Ray said. He said the reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. That is a big deal and, and chilling to have that happen and the testimony about that at a, at a hearing. I mean, that is the reality after everything got stirred up in the Middle East. And this is where Republicans, uh, you know, will, will tell you, we've talked about the border for a long time. Uh, it doesn't seem as though the administration has done anything about it. And for that matter, Republicans, even though they've pushed this, they haven't exactly moved a bill on border security. It's a great talking point for them, but they have this narrow majority in the House of Representatives. And, uh, you know, in fact, I was talking to somebody right after uh, uh, Johnson was elected as the Speaker of the House last week, and they said, is the first thing he's going to do border security? And I said, no. And they said, why? I said, because he doesn't have the votes. And they said, really? I said, it's the same problem that bedeviled the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy. So, uh, you know, both sides will talk a lot about border security and, and God forbid if there's some sort of major catastrophic attack that comes across the border. But, uh, you know, there's kind of a pox on both houses here, both sides uh, for wrestling with this border issue. And, and, and that was a, a very stick, a scary statement there from Chris Ray this morning. Yeah, very much so. So on uh, Speaker Johnson, he, the, the rule has not changed, right? The motion to vacate rule. That's right. He, he has indicated that there is some interest in that. Uh, he has indicated that it would undercut any speaker, be it him or somebody else, the fact that any person could come up and, and kind of just call for a vote of no confidence. I've often characterized this to like a parliamentary system in Europe where you have a no confidence vote in the prime minister or something like that in the government falls. That's essentially what happened here with, uh, with Kevin McCarthy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there are some pushes, bipartisan pushes by Matt Gates and also Ro Khanna, a Democrat from Northern California, to maybe put in some types of reforms and then they would maybe raise that bar. And again, this was something that was central to Kevin McCarthy getting the speakership. It was not something that was central to Mike Johnson getting the speakership. But again, if that weapon is out there, it might have been Matt Gates last week. It might be somebody else tomorrow. Uh, but this is where Senator Paul, to kind of bring the conversation full circle, was saying that's the threat here. If he were to put a bill on the floor that just dealt with uh, the Ukraine and Israel, right, just not the, the, the Israeli aid, put a combo bill together, uh, that would be enough maybe to trigger uh, a, a question of uh, the vacancy of the chair. And that's what uh, Senator Paul was alluding to here, that there might be a concern about uh, Speaker Johnson. You know, he he got elected, but not with a lot of political capital there. Um, you know, in the earlier votes on that day when they first elected uh, or nominated, I should say, Tom Emmer, uh, he got 34 votes. Mike Johnson did on the first round. A couple of days later, he's Speaker of the House. So it's not like, you know, you, you know you've gone out in the free agent market here, uh, you know, in the baseball season and brought in some, uh, you know, somebody who's known who hit 300 and hit 35 home runs. Uh, he is a bit of an unknown. He's well known in the Republican conference, and he does have some of that uh, goodwill built up there. The, the big unknowable thing, Brett, about Johnson, and this is where let's see what happens on this supplemental spending bill for foreign aid. Let's see really what happens with funding the government, which they have to do in just uh, 17, 18 days here. And if that looks anything like what Kevin McCarthy 
uh, dealt with. Uh, there will be people saying, and I, I talked about this the other day, I compared it to the song by The Who, uh, <laughs> you, you know, won't get fooled again. You know, here's the old boss, same as the new boss. You know, here's the new boss, same as the old boss. And my goodness, I mean, that's the, uh, the threat here for Mike Johnson or any speaker with this narrow majority. This is why he has been kind of circumspect about uh, George Santos. There's probably going to be a vote on that later in the House this week, maybe to expel him. And he kind of hinted that there might be other members leaving. Um, it's been intimated to me that there might be some others who step aside and you could chip away at that majority if you were to toss out George Santos and then maybe a couple others. You're down to maybe one or two seats. I mean, that is a, a hard uh, hand to play for, uh, for Mike Johnson or anybody else. Yeah, that's right. Last word here, Jessica, coming back to the beginning. Is there a split in the Democratic Party on the Israel, Hamas, Israel, Palestinians uh, that is becoming more prevalent or is it just that we're seeing it more? I think that we're just seeing it more. And I would agree there's been a lot of discussion about um, especially American uh, Jewish Democrats not really understanding the anti-Semitic rot amongst uh the Gen Zs, frankly, it seems to be a younger, like 25 and under versus everybody else issue in terms of support um, for Hamas versus support for Israel. Um, it's a huge problem. Obviously, the White House has to think about this electorally. There was the first poll of Arab Americans taken since the conflict started. It went from, I think it was like 58 percent for Biden in 2020, and it's down to 17 percent. Um, that's something that he is going to have to contend with. I don't think he'll change his stance. Um, but the split is there. Democratic socialists, um, Black Lives Matter supporters, uh, Gen Zs. And it's something that we're having a real reckoning with right now. All right, panel. Thank you. Now for a bit of history. On October 31st, 1941, the Mount Rushmore Monument was completed. That monument took 14 years to complete after President Calvin Coolidge ordered the carving of the monument in October of 1927, cost just below a million dollars to build. Today, the monument draws more than two million visitors a year to see the immortalized likenesses of Presidents Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Jessica, Matt, and Chad, I'm Brett Baer. See you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.